Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. And uh, the title of this morning's message is almost everything you want to know about faith. Almost everything you want to know about faith. And some of you, in fact, we'll show a picture on the screen here. You've been given this little mustard seed, this little seed. I know my secretary has it in her home by her uh, place where she has a devotion and that she'll remember what the scripture teaches us about this small, small seed. Here's what the scripture teaches us in Matthew. This is by the way of introduction. In Matthew 17, 20, truly I tell you, if you have the faith, everybody hold up their little teeny, 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 teeny seed if you could see it. If you need to put your glasses on, you can. If you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I know I can just see and feel the doubt. You mean I have permission and the ability to tell this mountain to be cast into the sea? Hmm. How much faith do you have? And I, I've gone over and over with myself what kind of faith I have. But do you realize that when Jesus told this to the apostles, we have to assume they did not have the faith of a grain of mustard seed when he spoke this truth. Let me remind you what happened. They brought a person, a little boy that had been tortured his whole life, had been demon-possessed, was foaming at the mouth, and the apostles tried to heal him, and they couldn't. So the dad brought the boy to Jesus and said, the apostles weren't able to cast the demons on him, and Jesus said, how long do I have to be with you before you believe? I'm sort of paraphrasing. And, and the daddy said, Jesus, if you can help, would you do something here? Wow, that seems weird talking to God that way, if you can help. And actually, Jesus said, what do you mean, if I can help? He said, if you believe, all things are possible. And the man sort of panicked but yelled out and said in Mark 9.24, the father instantly replied, I do have faith. Oh, but help me to have more. So here's what the small seed can do if you allow it to grow, this small seed. Can you believe it can grow this big? And so I believe this morning, all those looking in online and those here this morning, I do believe that this message is for everyone. And by the way, we didn't welcome our guests online and, and here. Would you give them a nice thank you for being here this morning? 
And remember, if you are our guest, we want to have a record of your visits. Please look in front of you. There's a little card there, a, a connect card. Fill it out. And on the way out, there's a tent outside for you. Pass it to them, and they'll get, put something in your hand. We want to thank you for being with us this morning. And we believe this message is for our body and anybody that's looking in online. And if you're here for the first time, we believe that all of our faith should grow like the apostles. Now, if you want to know something about the resurrection and what God had to say about it, where would you turn to? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's long 58 verses talking about the resurrection every which way. If you wanted to know about sin and you would and salvation, where would you turn to in the Bible? Well, the Bible's full of sin, but in Romans chapter 1 all the way through chapter 8, you would learn about sin and salvation. If you wanted to know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, where would you turn to in the Bible? One of the key places would be 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Actually, it talks about the gift of faith. And now if you want to know all about faith and the subject of faith, where would you turn to? Hebrews chapter 11. Now let's remember what the scripture is teaching because it would be so easy for you to look at this subject of faith and say, okay, how can I make faith work for me? We're going to learn that it's not just about that. That would actually be getting the cart before the horse. It is all about God. It is all about Christ. Remember, the writer is talking to the Hebrew people. That we're used to seeing something tangible. They had a temple. They had a high priest. They used to go with animals and sacrifice for their sins. And now they're told you don't have to do that anymore that Yeshua, Jesus, now became their high priest. He's superior to everything they've experienced. And by faith, they are to believe that and that he's coming back again. But they were weakening in their faith and wanting to go back with what they could see. So that's kind of where we left off. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, it says, the just will live by faith. And actually, chapter 11 picks up on that theme. Now, we get a clear explanation of what faith is in verse 1 and 2. And then clear examples of faith in action, verses 3 through 38. And then a clear promise that their faith will be rewarded with something far better than anything they've ever experienced. The key verse, the key verse is verse 6. Without faith, it is absolutely impossible to please God. Where are you at on a scale 1 to 10 with your faith as it pertains to you and God? Is it a 6? Is it a 7? Is it a 2? Is it a 9? I pray today that God will increase your faith. So let's look, first of all, at a clear explanation of what faith is in verse 1 and 2. A clear explanation. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients, in some of your translations, it will say, 
the elders, I like to be called an elder rather than I'm ancient or, or the elders in a church, you're ancient. You want to be called, are you ancient or are you an elder? So really in some of the translations it says, this is what the elders were commended for. Now, faith, number one, is a life principle that transcends generations and transcends time. Being sure of what we actually don't see. So it is defined in this way. It is not, first of all, blind optimism or a manufactured, well, I hope so kind of faith. That's not what we're talking about. Neither is it an intellectual assent to some doctrine. It certainly is not believing in spite of the evidence that would be superstition. And it's not what you can see, feel, or touch. We do that with our senses, especially the sense of seeing, seeing the material world around us. True biblical faith is confidence or confident, obedient to God's word in spite of your circumstances or consequences. Let me repeat that again. Faith is confident or confident obedience to God's word in spite of your circumstances and consequences and then acting on it. By the way, faith is not a religion. That means, well, I'm of the Muslim faith or I'm of the Hindu faith or I'm I'm of the faith of a Methodist. It's not talking about that kind of faith. Actually, there are three kinds of faith in Scripture. I believe all three of them are represented in Hebrews chapter 11. First, there is saving faith, Ephesians 2, for you're saved by faith through grace, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. There is saving faith. Everyone here needs to have saving faith in order to see God. So I pause right now and give my 30 seconds witness. God created the world and he created you and everything in it. Man rebelled against God and he forever sealed his doom to judgment and eternal hell. God did something about your predicament and my predicament by sending his son to live in the flesh, to be persecuted to be nailed to a tree, die on a cross, buried in a grave, and rose again on the third day. God said, if you believe my son did that for you, I will forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, and I will give you the gift of eternal life. That's the 32nd one. Share your faith with others. They must have Saving grace in order to see God. So there is a saving faith that everyone needs to have. And then there's the gift of faith. I mentioned something about that earlier. Not everyone has the gift of faith. Let me explain. I've said this before. Not everyone has the gift of evangelism. But everyone has the role of evangelism. Not everyone has the gift of giving. But everyone has the role of giving. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Not everyone has the gift of faith, but everyone has been given the role of practicing 
faith in God's promises. And so the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, some have seemed to be given an extra portion of faith. And then thirdly, there is living faith. The just shall live by faith. Something else by faith, about faith. Who is the object of your faith? Is it yourself? Is it your mom or daddy, your grandma and grandpa? Who's the object of your faith? Is it yourself? Faith is a life principle, and it's not new. From the days of the old covenant, the writer used many illustrations letting us know of its importance. So two all the way now through 38 gives us clear examples of faith in action. We're going to look at our first one, and that's found in verse 3. Faith helps us understand who created the universe. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Someone has said, if you can embrace this, everything else will be a piece of cake. Faith that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I happen to stumble on a verse that for some reason, it has slipped me for all these years. You may have been well aware of this one, but every once in a while, I have a serendipity moment when I have my devotions and I read the Word of God. Perhaps that happens to you also. It is found in Proverbs 25.2, pertaining to creation. It says, It is God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. Now, let me read it in another translation. God delights in concealing things. Scientists delight in discovering things. There's nothing wrong with scientists at all. Because God hid these things and now he wants to discover those things. The heavens declare the glories of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display their knowledge and glory. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, but it must be accessed by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Again, once again, it is not blind faith. So, do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Do you have that much faith to believe? You know, when I look at this computer, and, and science tells us that perhaps if you leave this table along for a million, two million, a billion years, it will turn into AI, artificial intelligence. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to find out that someone created this. And all God is saying, listen, look out there at the evidence I created the heavens and the earth. You have faith in what God told you. That's the key thing throughout this message. Have faith in who? In God. In what God promises us and what he's told you and what he told these great saints. Let's look at one of them found in verse 4. The scripture teaches us that, and by faith, actually, 
By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Now, are they competing? Is it one person comes and brings an offering and, and Abel brought something that was terrific and, or he brought a lot of money and, and, and then Cain brought only a little? Is that what's happening here? Is there a contest and God was more pleased with Abel than he was with Cain? Not at all. Cain, by faith, brought an offering that was acceptable to God. Faith, in fact, Abel knew the offering that God wanted him to give. And so did Cain, because they knew about the story about their dad. When he sinned in the garden, Adam, God began to tell the world that innocent blood would have to be shed in order to atone or cover their sin. And God slayed an innocent animal and clothed Adam and Eve in the garden, indicating that a sacrifice had to be given from an innocent animal in order to appease God temporarily. And then, of course, the high priest, Jesus, gave his body once and for all permanently. But until that time, by faith, they had to trust what God desired in an offering. And he brought the firstborn of his flock. Here you see the first work of a religion when Cain decided, well, I planted the corn, I planted the tomatoes, I planted the okra, and I planted the watermelon, and I'm going to take what I did with my own hands, and I'm, now I'm going to give back to God. It wasn't given in faith at all, where Abel's gift was given in faith. I remember when the offering plate used to come by. Well, let me see if I can pull something. I got any change here? Yeah, okay. And, and I toss it in there, in the basket that was going by. I wasn't giving that offering in faith. I absolutely believe with all my heart that when I give back to God, I am pleasing him and I'm following a principle that started in the Garden of Eden before the Mosaic Law and after the New Covenant came. God loves a generous giver. By faith, you and me give to God. And that's exactly what Abel did and he was commended for it. Is that how you give? In faith, believing that God has taught you that and he is a rewarder of those who are faithful to that. In fact, the next couple of verses talks about that is the only way to please God, and he will reward you. Let's look at verses 5 through 6. Faith is the only way to please God. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. How many of us dream about this? Or perhaps maybe just going to sleep and waking up and being with God. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. It goes on to say, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, these Hebrew people needed to hear that. Don't think this is, again, 
just take this and go, okay, now I'm going to make faith work for me. First of all, it's believing in the promises of God throughout Scripture that he teaches that if you give to him, it will be given back to you. I want to ask you, how badly do you really want to please God? You know, I think in the natural to help me understand the spiritual, and Jesus often does this, right? I, I really do want to please my wife of 41 years. I want to make her happy. I want to make her smile. I want to make her at peace. I desire that with everything in my body. Right, Cheryl? I really do, truly. I love you, honey. And I really want to please her. I love my kids. I, I in no way want to hurt them. I love them. I love you, Jacob. As a pastor, one of the pastors here, you've allowed me to serve you. I truly, truly, truly do love you. I do not want to do anything to hurt you. I care about you. Now, flip. God, can you say this with me? God, I, I really do love you. I really do want to please you with my whole heart and my whole life, with everything I have. I want to please you. Do you desire that? If you desire that, God will bless you. And he has tremendously blessed me from having nothing at 20 years old to having everything at 67 years old. Six kids, 17 grandkids, a home to live in, a church to help pastor, and a God to serve every day of my life. What more do I need? It doesn't get any better than that. And when I don't please my God, I am heartbroken. When I don't please my wife, I am very sad. And if I've hurt anybody, I usually will pick up the phone and call you and say, or I'll visit you and say, I'm sorry. That's how I roll. How do you roll? If the spirit of the living God is in you, the same thing he does in me, he'll do it with you. Well, If you desire to please him and you walk out this door, be ready for a whole bunch of God encounters this coming week. Well, here's another thing I want you to think about. Faith responds to God's warning. And we have the story, but we won't tell the whole story in verse 7 of Noah. Now, we can take what happened to Noah and apply it to us. But notice in verse 7, by faith... Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, what was that about? God's going to destroy a world by a flood. It's going to rain. He had never seen rain before. So in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So Noah was warned by God. I'm sure you're probably saying to yourself, well, God spoke to Noah. He heard God and he responded. Well, a lot of people heard God talk when he walked the face of this earth and they did not respond. Adam and Eve heard God in the garden ask them to do something and he warned them not to do something and they were not obedient. So don't just think because you heard the audible voice of God that you in turn would respond properly. Let me ask you this question. 
God has warned you and me about many things in Scripture. How have you responded? Example, if you're here this morning and you have never given your life to Jesus or you're looking at online and you've never really truly given your life to Jesus and the reason you haven't because there are some things he's pointed out to you and you have not responded. But somehow you've been able to eliminate the fear of judgment that's coming and an eternal fire to avoid. Are you listening to the warning that God's given you in Scripture? If you will not listen to that warning, then you will not be able to walk out of this door with any faith because you don't have faith in God's Word. He warns you to avoid the coming judgment just like He warned those in Noah's day. There's coming a judgment by rain. And in the last days, there's coming a judgment by fire. Do you believe? Do you have faith to believe what God said in spite of what our society is trying to do to the Word of God, what our school system has done to the Word of God, what many churches have done to the Word of God, and what AI is trying to do with the Word of God? Do you believe? Do you have faith in what God said? Do you have faith in Him? Do you have faith in Christ? Will you listen this morning to the warnings that he's given you and me about our lives. Then we come to this famous character we know all about, Abraham. Now remember, there are 17 characters in Hebrews chapter 11. And then there's some other characters that aren't mentioned. And they are given to you as examples. In fact, Hebrews 12 says, you are surrounded by, since you are surrounded by these cloud of witnesses that have gone on before you, we call them heroes, but they were ordinary men and women like you and me. We have a tendency to elevate them because they have achieved some things, but you're achieving the very thing they have achieved. You have faith. You've overcome by giving your life to Christ. So Abraham came from an ungodly background. But here's the key thing that Abraham did. And I will not read all those verses, but I'll read one of the verses. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God said, leave your hometown, and I want you to go to a place you don't even know about yet. And you really don't know where you're going to actually land. Let me give you an example of this. Really from my own family. I have six boys, and Joshua, you know, that's the recording artist and done so many albums I like to brag on. And, but he worked for me for 14 years. And then one day he came up to myself and my son-in-law, who was working for me at the time, and said, Dad, I quit. Now, it wasn't mad or anything. God had been telling him, I want you to quit. Now, he has three kids. I believe one was on the way. One was on the way. I said, how are you going to pay the bills? Just stay here till at least the grandchild is born and we can take care of you and all the hospital bills. Nope. God told me to quit. He did not know where he was going. He did not know where his next job was going to be. He had nothing on the horizon. He literally was obedient to God and resigned as the worship leader here. There was nothing bad happening in his life, nothing happening in the life of our relationship. He just believed it was time to cut the strings. God richly rewarded him. He's now, of course, within a month, 
City Rev, Robbie Barnes, Bob Barnes of Sheridan House, his son hired Joshua. And Joshua's gone on to write many songs and done many albums with City Rev as well as his own uh, albums. But God honored the faith of my son Joshua when he stepped out in faith and had absolutely no direction, no guarantee of any job at all. But by faith, he believed God when God said, it's finished here, you're moving on. What's God asking you to do today that he's asking you to step out in faith and move in a different direction could be a new job it could be moving to a particular place I don't know what he's asking you to do but are you willing to be obedient to that call Abraham was blind faith but he trusted God's word He trusted in him. Something else uh, that I would like to mention to you about him, because there's so many things to talk about, I'm going to talk about the incident of when he trusted God, when God tested him, and that's found in verse 17 through 19. We can't handle everything this morning here, but if you look at verse 17 in your Bibles or on your cell phones, it says, by faith... Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring would be reckoned. I mean, all these promises I've told you about that you're going to have a child in your old age, Sarah and Abraham, and through this child you're going to have many descendants. Now he's asking him to sacrifice that son by which, and by the way, all these promises I've given you are going to come to pass. It doesn't make sense at all to the human mind. But Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. I'm wondering, the Bible says that Jesus said, I must be number one in order to have a relationship with me. He said that. And we understand that on the human level. Again, I always think about the the young lady that I married back, how many years ago? 41 years ago, that she would be number one And all the other girls were off the circuit, as well as all the other guys. She was going to be number one. I would be tested, and she would be tested through these 41 years. And we've come through with flying colors. Praise God. But he's testing you and me. He said, not if, but when you are tested in James Will you be willing? Those children, I learned those kids were not mine. I could not dictate, here's what you're going to do. I had no idea God would turn almost everyone in my family into preachers or marrying preachers. You had to be willing to give it up. This church that you're seeing is not mine, even though we came out here, and when I took over this church, it was in debt. We came out here, and now we're living in a facility that we don't know anything on. Because God's people have been faithful to give. 
but it's still not mine. It is his. And all that you have is his. Your husband is his. Your wife is his. Your children are his. Our grandchildren are his. The money I have is his. I've often thought, well, what if maybe five months from now, Christ is coming back in the clouds? I thought about this many times. What if God said, I want you to empty your bank account and I want you to give it to some mission in, you name it. What if he asked me to do that and to totally trust him? Am I willing to do that? Would you be willing to do that? Here's the key. If we're not willing to do it with the simple things, the simple things, how is he going to trust us with anything bigger and yet we want the outpouring of the holy spirit in our lives we want some god encounters we want god to achieve some great things in our lives we want to connect with god in a great way by him being jehovah jireh by providing for us it could be a health need it could be a financial need it could be a job need it could be a friendship need i don't know what it is but if we're not willing to do the basic things that he's asked us to already do how is he going to challenge you to do anything above that? So he needs to be number one, including over your own life. He takes precedent over your own life. I must come before your mother, your father, your wife, your husband, your children, even your own life if you want to follow me. God is a jealous God, not in the kind of jealousy that we have, but he is a jealous God. He wants to be number one. But listen, if you make him number one, I will reward you. I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Never forget that. Is he asking you, do something that seems that just like Joshua, it doesn't make sense. You're getting ready to have a baby. You have a family to take care of. What about insurance? What about a job? I'm thinking that as a parent and as a grandparent. Aren't you crazy? Almost. But God pulled through as he always does. He takes care of his children. And now Josh has that mile marker in his life so that when God asks him to do something else, when there's another challenge coming before him, he will have that to reflect on. And that's exactly what God wants you and me to do in Hebrews chapter 11. To look at these characters, read about them. They were being persecuted. Their things were stripped away from these Hebrew people. They lost, many of them lost everything. They lost their homes. They lost their families. Many of you know what it's like to embrace Christ and now your family doesn't want to have anything to do with you. You know what it's like to lose Perhaps you even lost an inheritance because you became a believer. He's speaking to these Hebrew people to say, I want you to think back in your history. These were not some superior men. They were normal men. And they were persecuted. And there were trials and tribulations in, your, in their lives. And I'm telling you all about them. But they had faith in God. They believed his word. Do you and me actually believe what we're reading? And embrace it and put it into action. Just a couple more as we're winding down. Moses, we know all about Moses. 
If you don't know anything about Moses, go rent the film, the, the movie Egypt. And you know all about the character of Moses. So let me move on to an absurd one as we're finishing up. Look at verse 30. This is by a very sinful woman. There's a lot of sinners, but just, just it's an example. In verse 30, notice. By faith, am I getting the right verse? Thank you, 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Just 30 seconds or less, remember, Egypt gave up Israel. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They're getting ready to go into Jericho. And as they're getting ready to go in Jericho, God tells this macho man army, I want you to march around the walls for seven days, seven times, and I want you to blow the trumpet. Can you imagine how absurd that must have felt to this army that's biting at the, biting at the nail, trying to, ready to go to war? I mean, and then what about the people on the other side? Now, it would seem kind of clownish to the people on the other side, but we kind of get a hint or an indication from Scripture. They were, they were terrorized by Israel surrounding them. But, but just imagine being in Israel's shoes. You're going to march around the wall, and then it's going to come tumbling down all by itself. Come on. What I'm trying to get you to see is you and me are constantly challenged, perhaps on a day-to-day basis, to put our faith in action in God's promises, not what he hasn't promised, what he has promised. They put their faith in what God promised, not what he hasn't promised. So I don't think it, you should start at the point, let me come up with some idea, and let me see if God will, I have faith that God will do that. I'd like to have a Rolls Royce, God. I'd like to have a jet. I'm believing God is going to give me a jet. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking first and foremost about his promises. Do you have faith in his word that he's coming back? Do you have faith in his word that he forgives the sins? Do you have faith that he cares about every one of your needs? And are you willing to trust him? Abraham And Sarah trusted God. David trusted God. Over and over in the psalm, you hear about and read about, he's in in crazy circumstances, and yet he believed God would deliver him. This seems absurd. This prostitute of all the people in the Scripture, and by the way, she's mentioned in the genealogy of Christ, she became a believer. She had faith in what she had been seeing, what she had been hearing, what the spies said. She didn't see anything. She heard, and she believed, had faith in God that what he said was going to happen. She was warned. Actually, she heeded the warning. And she and her family, and who was ever in her house, when the walls fell down, they were protected. So if you're the worst sinner here in the world, You feel you've done something that God won't forgive you of. Are you willing to put faith in God when he said, I will forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness? No matter what you've done, he will forgive you of.
Will you believe him? Will you trust him? Will you have faith in him? That he will accept all sinners. The last one I want you to see in ending. There's so many examples in Hebrews. There are for you and me to draw strength from. And perhaps one fits your situation that you can draw encouragement from and strength from. But here's something I must tell you as a minister. It, it doesn't end well with everyone. How so? Let me read verse 35 through 38. That's, that's in this life. So let's go. 35 to 38. It says, well, let me actually begin in verse 33, 32. And what shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and about David and Samuel and prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. I mention that because we love to read about those great victories. But that's not the end of the story because you must have faith in what God told the church. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And he spells this out in Hebrews chapter 11. Not everyone gets delivered by the sword. Let's look what God teaches us. Then there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers, floggings, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes and in the ground. Yet they were all commended for their faith. Yet not, yet not none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. It's not easy to read those things because we kind of believe by faith that if we put our faith in God, that we'll be delivered. Now, here's what I'd like to tell you. I do believe that when the world comes after us, I do believe we'll be delivered. But I think the fine line is this. I believe when we're persecuted for Christ's sake, we must have the attitude that it's going to happen to believers and it could cost us our lives. I think if you start from that point of reference, based on what Jesus said and based on what Hebrews said, he does not promise all of us that we will escape death. 
But one of the things he does ask all of us to have faith in, and he asked the Hebrews to have faith in, and all those 17 characters and more that he mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and even Abraham, they look forward to a new city, a new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. That is what they live for, and that's the promise that Christ wants every believer to have that no matter what happens in this life, do you have faith in the ultimate promise that he commended these heroes of the faith for that they had promised, that they believed in the promise of the new city and the new Jerusalem. Now that doesn't make great preaching in some of our churches throughout our country. But if I don't tell you that, then you'll never have faith in believing that someone may be a missionary, maybe someone here, maybe someone in Canada, that may be putting, on, put, putting their faith on the line here in the near future. And we know it's happened all across the world. If you listen to missionaries, voices of martyrs, there are many people even this past week that have given their lives for Jesus Christ. But ultimately, God wants you to know it's not in vain. And every one of these characters that we mentioned believe God and believed that they had not received what he had promised. That's faith in God's promises. Would you stand at this time? There was so much to cover here, but I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking to every one of us individually as well as us, us collectively. What am I asking collectively in this church? We say it too often, but I really desire what we read about at Pentecost that the power and the glory and the Holy Spirit of God would fall upon this church in such a way that there would be visible signs and evidence that the kingdom of God is at work at Victory Life Church. Do you desire that? That means probably there will be a lot of repentance. That means there will be a lot of forgiveness. That means there's going to be a lot of people getting right with God. That means there's probably going to be a lot of weeping over our sin. But it may be accompanied with other things. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. Miracles of God. Miracles that will honor and glorify Him. And perhaps, I don't like to say it this way, but it is the truth. Perhaps you need God intervention in your life right now. And you're looking for that miracle. Make sure there's repentance. And then there's a great possibility that God will reward you if you diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, your word has been talked about, read about, and spoken. Would you please continue to water and fertilize what was spoken? And would you bless this church, your church, to advance your kingdom? May we help deliver many people out of darkness and from the coming destruction that's coming to this earth by fire. Would you use this church to help many escape the flames? And then I ask today, Father, in the coming days and weeks, as we start our 21 days of prayer tomorrow, would you allow us the privilege of hearing how you have answered prayers to those who had faith in your word and you promised you would reward them or reward us. Cause us to pray like you want us to pray. 
may we begin to see evidence that what we talked to you about today will come to pass in the coming days and weeks. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If God's leading you this morning to come. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.